Hello everybody and welcome to episode 2 of Around the World in 80 Drinks with me, Ben McFarland and the other thinking drinker, Tom Sandham. How are you doing today, Tom? I'm okay, Ben. Obviously missing you deeply but uh, managing to get through this whole isolation spell thanks to the uh, copious amounts of drinks I've got in my shed. Well done, well done. You're looking great. Your hair is looking big. Yeah, it's getting bigger. I'm working through different hair products to try and flatten it. I'm perfectly honest. I'm pretty just pleased to have some hair left on my head at the age of 43. Yours, however, is a, a bouffant, I would describe yeah. it as. <laughs> Brian May's let himself go. I think we can all agree. <laughs> um, are you missing anything from normal life? Uh, I'm missing you. Uh, I'm missing yep. leaving this house. Uh, we can't tour our Thinking Drinkers show at the moment, which is desperate times because I'd do anything to be in Swindon right now in a Premier Inn with you uh, just for a change of scene. Are you missing anything particularly? I'm missing the applause Tom, I don't mind telling you uh, listeners might not believe this but at the end of some of our shows a lot of people uh, clap <laughs> and it's great for my e- ego. A lot of some people give us a standing ovation. I think it's a standing ovation. No, no, no. Put- we know, we know. They're just standing up awkwardly and then sitting down and thinking, "Is this over yet? Can I go?" Yeah, or they're just standing up and putting their coats on. <laughs> um, do you remember when your your father-in-law once left? Uh, he put his coat on uh, at half time. Yeah, or whatever the interval. He was like, "Oh, that was great, lads." It's like, yeah. no, it's only halfway through. But anyway, I'm missing <laughs> the clapping. <laughs> yeah. I'm missing the clapping, and but what I do is every Thursday evening, uh, when everyone's clapping for the NHS and the doctors and the nurses, I just pretend it's for me. Uh, I like to think of myself as a key worker, and so I go out there and I sort of, I don't bow because that would be milking it, but that uh, boosts the old self-esteem a little bit, and then come in and keep drinking so oh, that's a nice idea i'll try that i'll try and stand in front of my son joseph who bangs a saucepan and as he does it i'll raise my hands like i'm jesus as you say we're kind of key workers and uh actually on that issue uh, our friend jake Berger, who runs portobello gin in london he says he cycles home on a thursday through the streets and if he times it just right he gets that applause and he says it feels like the tour de france so uh, that is brilliant that is something else to try uh but anyway, we, we are doing these podcasts to try and take listeners away from what's on their doorstep. And while we're all isolated, whisk them around the world to exotic locations and pour drink through their ear holes as we try some interesting things they might not have tried before. So uh, I think it's probably time to tuck into some booze for this yeah, podcast. Yeah, where are we going? Well, um, I, I, in a bid to get people away from their, their close quarter families uh, to these exotic locations, um, and and for the people who are just got their voices in their head because they're in isolation, I am going to transport you now. Drum roll, please, to Devon. Devon. Oh, for fuck's sake, really? Yeah. Devon. We can go anywhere <laughs> in the world, and we're going to Devon. Yeah. I love Devon, but I mean, I I'm sorry, but it, it will be worth it. Trust me for for the drink okay. in question. Um, and I've been to, on some nice holidays in Devon as a child. I got some beautiful beaches, so it's not quite St Lucia. But uh, no. when this is over, we might appreciate what's on our doorstep a bit more. And I'd urge people to go and check Devon out if they haven't. Not least because they've got some fantastic booze. Now, interestingly, Devon was named Dumoni by the Romans, which means person who lives in a deep rut. <laughs> well, that describes pretty much everyone at the moment. Yeah. So that is topical, if nothing else, Tom. Yeah. It's also home to Devonshire cream, pasties. Uh, two separate coastlines. Well, 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 well,
Dev. Ah, but the Devonshire folk claim the first recorded writings of pasty recipes uh, was in Devon. Really? So that's what they argue. I think it's a bit that's of a... That's ballsy. Uh, it's a, a mass debate down there in, uh, in Devon and Cornwall over who came first uh, with the pasties. But uh, they claim they're first. The only county in England to offer two coastlines. That's quite interesting as well, the English Channel and the... Atlantic is it interesting I don't know we're saying it <laughs> well well I've got one I've got one as well um, well I've got two about Go Devon I know these um, just off the top of my head because I'm that kind of guy um, Devon has the only town or city in the UK with an exclamation mark do you know what it is I I don't Westwood Ho Ho <laughs> Ho and then of course did you know that the Jack Russell Terrier was created in Devon I don't know how that created genetically yeah. spliced. That well, there's a guy called Reverend John Russell who lives somewhere in Devon, and he bought a dog. So he didn't create it; he bought one. He was called and John. Dog, surely his name John Russell. Been Jack. Mm. Okay, yeah, that's right. That's true. Anyway, maybe they differentiated because if they were both called John, that would have been confusing <laughs> in the vicarage. <laughs> But he bought a dog which had stumpy legs, huge ears, and was great at digging around in filth and looking up, going after foxes and stuff. There we and go. Do you know what his name was? Jack. <laughs> no, Trump. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah a so he probably um, Trump. Trump Sorry, sniffing out of the dog's arses and yeah, and he introduced a uh, Muslim travel ban apparently as well. Yeah. Um, so that's guy. about Devon. Lovely guy. Yeah. Uh, they've also got a town down there called Beer, Ben. I'm surprised you didn't have they? get onto that little fact. Because they've got some brilliant booze down there. And beer, Beer's going to be covered by you after I've, yeah. I've had a go. Uh, they've yeah. got some great... <laughs> they've had some great um, wine vineyards popping up there over over recent times as well. Kenton Park Estate, uh, Sharpen Wines, um, Pebble Bed, uh, some nice sparkling wines. But most importantly for me, as a spirits expert, they've got amazing gin in the form of Plymouth gin which is what we're asking listeners to taste today now there are so many new fangled gins arriving on the shelves at the moment um too many in our opinion ben i think that's fair to say uh, i think it's a it's a genaissance it's called it? a genaissance but some of it is a bit pony frankly uh there, there are some people out there using strange botanicals that they they find on their doorstep that they think makes their gin particularly useful as a local uh, flavor so they're they're picking things from strange native bushes so to speak um, and they these botanicals don't always offer too much in the way of flavor or aroma uh, sometimes they offer too much flavor or aroma and they trample over the juniper in our gin and juniper is essential in our gin one of the biggest crimes yes. in the genaissance is these new gins that are coming out that don't have a pronounced juniper profile that's that piney aroma you get off your gin very distinct and it's the essence of gin so it needs to be there so we are kind of rallying against some of the new gins that are are moving away from what the character of gin should be. Plymouth doesn't do that. Plymouth is what we'd probably call a proper gin. Uh, it's it's a gin that needs to be in the drinks cabinet of every discerning drinker, and it's why we want to start the podcast gin uh, appraisals with this particular gin. One thing that adds to its proper gin credentials is its heritage. Uh, it's made on the oldest continuously working still in the country so that's heavyweight heritage in fact it's been distilled there since 1793 so that's wowzers yeah it's pretty old 
The distillery is on the site of an old monastery, which dates back to 1431, the oldest building in Plymouth. It used to be a debtor's prison before it was a distillery, which is relevant considering the financial pickle we'll undoubtedly be going into after this lockdown. <laughs> Something to look forward to. As a thinking drinkers, is a limited company. Thanks for looking after us. Uh, and Thanks, it's, guys. It's even survived a bombing raid during World War Two. Uh, so it's a tough, it's a tough old building. And of course, during World War Two, Winston Churchill was drinking Plymouth yep. gin in his martinis. That's a fact. Yes, uh, famous. That is, he's famously uh, a big fan of Plymouth gin. And but he, uh, but he, he had his ma- martinis with no vermouth. I think that is that correct, Tom? That's so. So the urban myth goes. He he just had chilled, slightly diluted Plymouth in his martini. And then, uh, depending on who you believe, he would nod to France rather than uh, put a bottle, put a bit of vermouth in. Some people believe he swore at the French instead. Really? I don't know where you stand on that. Um, what would you do? Well, well, I like the French. My mum's half French, um, okay. and I think there's a great country. I mean, they obviously blotted the copybook a little bit a few years ago when they um, were a bit careless with our queen of hearts but let's move on i think we need to forgive and forget <laughs> that is there yeah don't turn this podcast into a car crash no let's move on no. uh, we tend we tend to credit the dutch uh, with making the first commercial juniper spirits or gin they introduced it to the uk in the 1600s and as you might know if you've come to one of our shows we talk a lot about the ruin of gin it's particularly in london during the 1700s by the 1720s every man woman and child was drinking a pint of gin a week uh, because we love this gin so much and it did lead to a bit of a downfall in London but out of that came a, a spell where we improved production methods and into the 1800s we had London dry gin emerging from London it's a very specific type of gin that can be made anywhere in the world and we'll come back to London dry styles but at the same time all around the country people were coming up with their sort of regional variations so Bristol had its own gin Norwich had its own gin, Warrington had a, a style as well. The one that survived along with London Dry was the Plymouth style. So what makes Plymouth slightly different is that it's a slightly earthier, a slightly sweeter style of gin. And it's so distinct that actually at one time it had a protected geographical indication. And that means it could only be produced in Plymouth, which is a bit like champagne, going back to the French. So that's how important Plymouth gin as a style was um, and really to give you a, an overview of, of that style it's slightly sweeter they don't use as many bitter botanicals in Plymouth gin and they use a heavier load of root botanicals in the distillation and that means slightly rounder it's not as spiky it's made on a small pot still a 7,000 litre copper pot still which has been used for over 150 years which is pretty cool um, and it's a strange shape but that's what adds to the character of our Plymouth gin so they won't find a more efficient way to distill it because they want to use that copper that interacts with the spirit as it distills to give it its trademark flavor and character so um, it's it's a it's a good proper gin made in a very historic way um, it has seven botanicals so unlike some of these newfangled gins with 30 odd botanicals it's only got seven, but it's doing a lot with those seven botanicals. You've got juniper in there, coriander, lemon peel, sweet orange peel, sweet angelica, orris root, and cardamom. And the juniper is properly pronounced. With all this in mind, we probably want to taste some, don't we, Ben? I'm just banging on about yeah. how it's Yeah, made. no, but I think but uh, what I find amazing with the Plymouth gin is when you go into the supermarket or a, or a bottle shop and you've got all these new gins 
with their fa- fancy packaging and their fancy new ways. And they're quite a lot, of, a lot of them are very expensive. And then you've got Plymouth Gin, which is sort of hovers around the twenty pound mark, and it's such such a bargain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, um, I, I, there, there are you know, I mean, there are many good gins with lots of botanicals in. Uh, another mm. new, re, more recent edition is Monkey Forty Seven, and the Monkey Forty Eight, which is the Distillers Cut or Monkey Forty Seven Distillers Cut, has got the the Forty Eighth dis, the botanical in it. It's a lovely gin. It's a brilliant gin. We're not saying other gins are not proper, but there are like you say. The fact is, if you launch Plymouth right now, you could ask for forty quid a bottle easily. Yeah, it's that good. Uh, so don't be hoodwinked by price and think you're getting the necessarily the best gin. You you need to learn about them. And that's what this podcast is all about. To reminding you yeah. that there are some great classics out there. Um, and also, it's the bottle has got a funny little picture, a line drawing of a monk on it, which is always a good thing. I find. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't and, uh, like a picture of a monk, Ben? Uh, I know, and it just suggests that. I mean, if they like it, yeah, uh, their job is is being good. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that, uh, you should respect that. But the the monk uh, is drawn just about an inch above the bottom of the bottle, and apparently, when the level of the gin reaches the monk's feet or sandals, flip flops, then that is time to get another bottle in. Ah, that's a good fact. Yeah, so they I are. was not aware of that. Yeah. But we've both been to the distillery, and actually, when we went down there, we met the distiller Sean Harrison, who does his tasting in a slightly different way. So now is the tasting part of our pod, listeners. So if you've yeah. got your Plymouth gin with you, we're going to urge you to drink this in a slightly different way. What we want you to do, first of all, and this is what Sean would urge you to do, is to hold your nose so you can smell absolutely nothing at all. Now, while okay. you're, yeah, you're, doing, you're doing that, Ben, now while you're holding yeah. your nose, take a sip, yeah. a small sip of your Plymouth gin. Keep your nose completely closed off to aroma. Now, while it's in there, Release your nostrils and breathe in through your nose. And what you'll notice as you do that is an incredible burst of aroma wow. and flavour. Now you're going to get those piney herbal notes from our from our uh, juniper that we were talking about. But you're going to get those beautiful citrus notes from the lemon and the sweet orange peel. And you'll start to appreciate the mouthfeel a bit more. Now that's because about 90%, depending on your sense of smell, 90% of what you taste comes from your sense of smell. So it's very important that you're always using your nose when you're doing these tastings. And that's where you'll find all of those beautiful aromatics that come from the botanicals. If you taste it again now, in the normal way, I wouldn't taste it holding your nose like that normally. It's just a bit of an experiment. No. Don't do it in a pub. But if you taste it... Get your, <laughs> get your head kicked in. <laughs> get your head kicked in. Uh, so taste it again now normally and you'll start to appreciate again that mouthfeel, that softly earthy note. We talk about this being an earthy gin. Drinking earth is not is not appealing. It's not really... No. It's not... The, the roots are giving it that earthy feel but the root is really there to bind a lot of the other flavours and actually what really lingers a long time with Plymouth is those beautiful citrus notes notes um, and tasting it neat like we're doing now is a great way to get all of those characteristics from it uh, you drink whiskey neat you drink uh, you drink rum neat i'd say a couple of ice cubes in a glass of plymouth is actually is actually very acceptable way to drink this gin because it is so fantastic neat well that's what's what i find strange with gin the idea of drinking gin neat is just um un- it's unheard of people just just won't counter counter that i mean if you're drinking a whiskey, 
people say you shouldn't dilute it with soda water or tonic water, but people drown their gin in tonic before tasting it. And a good way of tasting it is the way you've just done it mm. with with the um, with the nose. Because when I did that down in Plymouth, they had a lot of other gins to compare it with, and some of the gins I won't tell you which ones. When you held, uh, you put it in your mouth and released your nose, expecting these wonderful aromatics, there was just nothing. Yeah. There was just nothing. It, it was really neutral. There was no character there at all. Um, and it's just it's a very good way of separating the the, the flavoursome complex aromatic gins from from the ones that are less less impressive. So yeah, it's a, it's. Like I say, don't do it in the pub because no. people think you're a complete weirdo. But it's a good way of comparing the different gins in your in your drink cabinet. Yeah, but and also, also it's actually, just just to caveat that, I would say only maybe do three at a time. Don't line yes, up if you've got less, twenty drink gins. Drink less, drink better. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But it does. Yeah, you're right. It showcases all the different qualities about, that are in the the gin. Um, that said, uh, Plymouth is also it's got a lot of cocktail heritage, so it's one of those to have in the armory because you can drink it neat. You can have it in a great martini. I mean, we actually ask for this in martinis when, whenever we go around the world. Uh, so although it's a domestic gin, it's an international one, and uh, it really makes the perfect martini for us. In fact, it reminded me when I was I was looking back into Plymouth and drinking a martini at that time. We were with um, Scott Collins of meat liquor fame ben i don't know if you remember that oh, scott God. runs me meat liquor which is a fantastic place in fact they're serving up their burgers over in um, dulwich you can you can get a takeaway meat liquor burger if you're a london-based uh, brilliant burgers but we met up with him at the clove club wasn't it in shoreditch mm. we just bumped into mm. him and we ended up having six plymouth martinis in one sitting and that was before we really appreciated. That was irresponsible. Yeah, I mean, you do have to drink less, drink better. But they were that tasty um, that you can you can keep drinking them. Don't do that. It makes other great cocktails, no. though. Uh, in fact, in the Savoy cocktail book, the 1930s Savoy cocktail book, Cherry Craddock wrote, which is a bit of a milestone in the cocktail creativity of, of bartenders, uh, it was the second most called-for brand in all of the cocktails in the book so Plymouth has got that heritage in cocktails one of the best cocktails you can use it in though we think is the pink gin which is a cocktail that people might not be quite so familiar with and this goes back again to these newfangled pink gins that are out there I know Ben you're a big fan of pink gins but um, (laughs) I really am not (laughs) I'm yet to taste one that doesn't taste dreadful yeah, I think the problem with a lot of them is they they are just flavouring them with with sweeteners to to try. Well, it seems to be going through the same process that vodka did in the sort of nineties, where you you had vodka and then there was just lots of flavoured vodkas that bear you know bear no similarity to to the original. I mean, I, yeah, it's fine. I mean, if people want those flavours; they deliver them. Mm. But it's just if you if you want a gin, you still want the juniper to shine through. Yeah, ideally, don't you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the pink gin cocktail is nothing in is the original pink gin. So if people want a proper pink gin, we'd suggest this. And this dates back to the British Navy in the eighteen hundreds, who were aboard the uh, HMS Hercules while they were patrolling the Caribbean, um, and they were using quinacona bark or quinine to ward off tropical diseases like malaria on the boats. And in fact, quinine found its way into tonic water, which is why the gin and tonic did so well in the tropics. People felt that it could ward off malaria, although you'd need about 100 gin and tonics to keep you safe, apparently. Anyway, this 
Kinkona bark was found in Angostura bitters. So the Navy found these Angostura bitters and they thought, well, let's put these medicinal bitters into our gin. So they added a few dashes into their Plymouth gin and it turned it slightly pink. So that's a cocktail ah, you, can, you can still right. use today. Um, you can stir a bit of Plymouth gin with some ice and some Angostura bitters in there. Nice chilled cocktail and it's good for your tummy. So... Uh, so that's uh, something to try with your Plymouth gin. Um, at it, do, it, won't, it won't cure the virus, though. No. <laughs> Sadly no. not, Ben. Well, it might do. Give it a go. Well, yeah. They're, but, trying uh, anything, right? they're doing you know, nicotine imagine if that, the moment, So it's like, whatever. <laughs> if that happened to be. <laughs> and it's good if you've got itchy balls as well. Yeah. Obviously. Uh, Plymouth was also uh, the the site. They reckon the distillery was a site where the, the 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 crew of the Mayflower, before their last on their last night on English soil in 1620, they all drank at the bar that's at the distillery um, at Plymouth. So go down to the the distillery when it's open, drink in the bar, and that the Mayflower is celebrating its 400 year anniversary. Ben, isn't it? So that's uh, also it. Certainly is. In fact, I listened to a very good podcast recently uh, all about the Mayflower and learnt. Uh, the, a lot of the stuff, the stories around the Mayflower are, in fact, nonsense. Did you know they they first, um, the idea was they were going to go over in two on two ships. The first ship was called the Speedwell, which they got through this, what turns out to be a bit of a hopeless middleman called Thomas Weston in 1619. And they basically, he was like a, a boat dealer and he was a bit dodgy. And he, he got this boat for them and uh, they all got on it. Uh, and they, and it was called it's called the Speedwell. The irony being that it didn't speed very well at all. In fact, it sank <laughs> within about two hundred yards of leaving the harbour. So they had to come back, and he was like, "Oh, uh, that's weird." Uh, uh, and so he got them. Everyone had to get off it and get onto the Mayflower. So instead of taking in two boats, they all had to squeeze onto one. And that was one of the reasons I think they um, ran out of beer because there's so many people on it. And the reason they ran out of beer, and that is historically widely considered the reason that they they docked where they did uh, about 200 miles i think from where their uh their intended destination um uh, what a disaster. yeah because yeah and they 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 and well i think william bradford uh who was on it um so it was like the reason we we stopped here was because we ran out of beer Brilliant. but he spelt beer with an e at the end because that was ye old english <laughs> and they couldn't fucking spell yeah, and, um, Another beer connection is when the Pilgrim Fathers met the indigenous Americans, or the or otherwise known as the original Americans, the Americans, the first thing they said was, in English, can I have some beer, ah. apparently. And this was said by this guy called Somerset. Right. S-A-M-O-S-E-T, not the uh, county. It's Borders, Devon? Maybe that's what it's named Devon? after. I don't know. Maybe. Could be. Um, and he learned his English from fishermen and another Native American called Squanto, who was influential in the whole uh, the whole Mayflower arrival kind of thing. And so, yes, uh, beer has been in influential uh, with the Mayflower and going over there. Great. Um, so um, that brings us seamlessly onto the beer tasting. It does. Which I'm very excited about. Um, but I'm not going, we're not going to America yet. Um, we're going to go to 
Devon again. <laughs> We're just going about an hour's drive north from Plymouth across Dartmoor to a wonderful brewery called Utopian. Open last year. Specialises in brewing British lager. Lager, 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 lager. I love lager, Ben, but well, I is it lager. fair to say much maligned as a style, isn't it? It is. Yeah. All right. Don't. I'm coming on to that. Uh, but most most microbreweries, craft breweries, open these days. They're doing ales uh, and uh, doing things like that, and, and uh, craft uh, IPAs and things like that. But this, these guys have gone for lager, and they're doing it in a sustainable way. Um, they're using loads of eco stuff, saving dolphins and penguins and that. Uh, they've got Jeremy Swainson as a head brewer. He used to brew at Camden Brewery. He also specialised in lager. And he was tutored in Germany, home of lagers. So he knows his stuff. They do a British lager, a Pilsner, a dark lager, and an unfiltered lager, a Sieb, which is the uh, which won gold medal recently from the Society of Independent Brewers. And that's what we're going to taste here. Now, before we do, um, given this is episode two, uh, it's worth, as quickly as possible, distinguishing between lager-style beers and ales. Because uh, there's still a lot of confusion. I don't don't know if you remember Tom, but when we did a sh- uh, show last year and we were uh, giving people a wonderful beer called Twelfth and Ever from Lagunitas uh, Brewery in California, uh, we gave it. To, I gave it to this guy in the crowd, and he gave it back to me. Said he didn't want. I don't want an ale. I want a beer, uh, which is wrong in many ways. Because mm. um, uh, ale is a beer. Uh, lager is a beer so essentially imagine a pyramid ironically built by peri- people who are paid in beer they're given 10 pints of beer every day about 5.2 percent uh it's like stella. these are stella, like it? stella yeah they're basically so drinking 10 pints of stella quite uh, trying to construct a uh, <laughs> complex edifice yikes they did all right yeah. uh, they did all right yeah there no doors no windows well, grouting's yeah. a bit shit but apart from that they did a good job um but um, so you've got the at the top of the pyramid you've got beer. Then below that you've got lager on one side, ale on the other, uh, and then you've got loads of different styles of ales and lagers below that, going all the way down. And there's some crossover, but I won't go into that now. Um, but essentially, the difference between the two is the way they uh, they ferment and the way they're stored. So general rule is that lagers use bottom fermenting yeast and are fermented in cold conditions and stored in cold conditions. Ales, meanwhile, use top fermenting yeast and are conditioned at warmer temperatures. Um, So the only real difference is the yeast. And yeast isn't something on which you should base any major life decisions, unless, of course, you've got uh, issues in the undertakers. Yeah, but it's Caliston, invented in 1969, listeners. Um, it was the irony yes Uh, yeah absolutely (laughs) go and see a doctor it's very common well it's it's, uh, it's hard Um, these days on those zoom doctor appointments isn't it ben i I find when (laughs) i want to when i want to show him what's wrong with me he's like no there's nothing wrong with you yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) get off no i I just i can't get my leg on the table that's the problem um but the reputation lagers in this country have got lousy reputation uh, mainly because of the fact that the vast majority of lagers drunk in this country are let's face it a bit shit mm. um historically they arrived sort of 60s and 70s and they, they came they're brought over here by sort of these international conglomerates uh that went on to monopolize the beer market over the last few decades and and with f- a few exceptions they they have passed off a poor, pale imitation of lager on a British drinking audience uh, who don't really know what lager can and should taste like. So, um, as with everything, Tom, I like a football analogy. I'm sure you know that. Um, 
And do you know the uh, f- you know the player Mesut Özil? I do. Yes. For Arsenal. Yes. Listeners, we were we but, were in a former life uh, sports journalist. Um, yes. You might say failed. I like to think we just. I moved on. We moved on. We're doing something better now. Um, yeah, I mean, look at us go. Erzul, yeah. um, though. Yeah. Erzul, um, if you don't know him, he's uh, uh, got he's he plays for Germany. He's got a Turkish um, heritage, but he's got massive eyes, <laughs> really big eyes. It looks like his thyroid has gone completely bonkers. Mm. It looks like he's just stepped out of a swimming pool. Weirdly, my wife really fancies him. Really? Um, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he looks like a sort of lizard. He's quite... You know, he's quite uh, yeah, if he does a lot of swimming, he'd probably come out and need a Twix. He's done a lot of... He's, he's done a lot of exercise, <laughs> though, because he's not overweight. He's quite a slight character. No. That's no, part of the problem. Well, this is That's it. part of the problem, isn't it? Well, he's very... In my opinion, his, well, when he first arrived, he was very misunderstood because his elegance... Uh, he's a very elegant player, lots of nice little touches, deft little passes. He can take the ball, turn it, move it around. Very, very, very um, silky. Um, and But he's also a little bit lightweight in terms of getting stuck in and running back and doing all the things that British football fans really like because they think that that's what you should be doing when you're playing football. And it's a bit like the craft brewing scene over here as well. People want big flavours. They want loads of hop. They want loads of... And they want imperial stouts with loads of flavour and sort of body and want to hit your taste buds over the head. But lager is much more about sort of delicate refinement, refreshment. And proper lager is amazing. Um, And Mesut Ozil, so what I'm saying here... To, to stretch this rather tortured analogy between Mesut Ozil and Lager is that they're both misunderstood and they both uh, do lots of am- amazing things that we don't really appreciate as a British audience. True. Although Mesut I don't Ozil, know, Ozil is a bit shit. He's a bit of a luxury. And it, this, if I'm going to yeah, right, right, stretch this a little <laughs> bit further and say what you need is yeah. you really just need a, someone like a, in the modern game, someone on Van Dijk who can just put the boot in. And interestingly, Van Dijk is Dutch. So he's a bit like the Dutch import of gin. So if gin were taking on your lager in this, right. I'd say gin. Okay, was. well, listen, listen. <laughs> there's, there's, well, this analogy really worked about four years ago when I thought about it. <laughs> but since Time then, to stop Ozil cutting and pasting your own work, Ben. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I know. He's turned into... He really is shit. But Lager is not shit. No. Uh, so that's that's what I'm trying to say. So in many ways, it works. Um, okay. Well, let's try some of the Lager we've got then. What have we got? So we've got... Right. No, no way. Okay. Prob- well, okay. But... Okay. But... Proper lager is amazing. This is a fantastic lager. The greatest irony of lager is that this broadly defined style of beer is only known as lager outside of its brewing homeland, namely Germany. Lager means to store. Oh. And as lagering of beer is standard Germanic practice, they lager all their beers. They don't call it lager, obviously. It would be like calling food cook <laughs> or something. Okay, yeah. Uh, I can't think of anything else like that. No, um, no. So historically in Germany, the local lager beers in the different brewing regions were an expression of the local water, local malt, and local hops. And these three variants were the mainstay of the Reinheitsgebot purity laws that were introduced to protect drinkers from the use of other shit inferior ingredients. So historically in Germany, you could only use those three ingredients and, and, and yeast, uh. obviously. And this beer was trying from the Utopian Brewery is a German-style, unfiltered, hell-style lager which originated in Bavaria. Yet, historically, 
it does have British roots because in 1833, a chap called Gabriel Sedlmeyer from the Spartan Brewery in uh, in Bavaria, uh, the Spade Brewery, he came to London to learn from local brewers in London and Britain who were shit hot when it came to malting techniques, brewing equipment, all that kind of stuff. It was back when we ran a show and exploited weaker countries, that kind of thing. And ran, you know, ran the world. Now, British brewers had worked out a way of cooking a malted barley using indirect, indirect heats rather than open flames, meaning they could produce lighter malt, which would produce lighter beers. And that was a big deal back then. Mm. Anyway, in true German foreign fashion, instead of simply asking whether he could have some, this trombone-playing, pumpernickel-munching Bavarian came over here with his lederhosen and his umlauts and brazenly stole malting techniques and yeast from our breweries using a special walking cane. And he took it back to Germany. Wow. And he said, yeah, sneaky little so-and-so. He said, and it, afterwards he wrote in a book, he said, it always surprises me that we can get away with these thefts without being beaten up. <laughs> too fucking right mate yeah, we, he should have woken well, up with a crowd fair, down, we him. dropped the ball oh. but we, we sorted that out later on didn't we so um, it's interesting about oh, the, yeah, the yeah, walking yeah. cane thing because the cane's been used in other drink stories uh, Toulouse-Lautrec had a walking cane which he kept his absinthe in and during Prohibition they kept uh, booze hidden in walking canes as well so a little bit of a, a side issue there uh, maybe we could yeah. do a pod on, on walking sticks um, <laughs> maybe <laughs> Why not? Why not? Can't be worse than this one. Um, but anyway, he's pretty. But the sheer brass balls in the man. He um, anyway. Luckily, he combined these techniques which he learnt with all the German practices, uh, which is bottom fermentation and cold conditioning, to produce an amazing golden Hellas beer. And this, and Hellas is essentially a Bavarian light-coloured lager that is slightly softer and hoppier than a Pilsner, which comes from Bohemia, the Czech Republic. Now. We we are tasting this unfiltered Hellstar lager um, from uh, from the Utopian Brewery, and then they're using just like the Germans do, all local hops and local malts. They're using Jester hop, Ooh, which yeah. is a UK hop. Yeah. Uh, it's a um, funny one, isn't it? Well, Jester, well, he's a funny he's a guy. Funny um, uh, it's very tropical, fruity. Got a slight hint of grapefruit, light chee in there, a bit of blackcurrant as well. Um, they also use decoction mash, which is without wanting to get too geeky. It's a they're, what they do is when they're they're boiling up the water and the uh, the grain, the barley, uh, which is called the mash. They take the mix of the malt and the hot water, uh, boil it up, and then return it back into the original mash. And that apparently gives it a little bit more body. It sort of changes the heart of the beer. Uh, by giving it a bit more maltiness, so the grain is more pronounced and a bit clearer. Okay, well, I poured some of this, and it does look a bit cloudy. Yes. And some people are going to say, oh, I don't like it, it looks cloudy, I'd like my logo to be crystal clear. Um, but those people are, are morons, bum clowns, bellends, because uh, yeah. this is what's giving it yes. the flavour. And I'm tasting it now, and it's really, it's got a lot of a richer quality than a, than a yes. sort of stand mass-produced lager. And I think that's the point, isn't it? They're, they're looking at what gives a beer well, its it? character, and they're keeping it in there, because it's, it's good. Absolutely, and what what is important? It's like comparing mighty white sliced white bread with Brilliant. lovely freshly baked. Oh, okay, that was the that was it's that's, not, that's like the bad mighty one. White. That was like the bad one. Yeah, that's the bad. That's the <laughs> okay. bad one with something like a ciabatta oh, right, or something okay. like that, no, man. You're losing me. Um, there. <laughs> uh, and one, so you've got the ingredients, but what's important is how long it's let to uh, ferment and condition. Right. Now, time is essential. And a utopian do 
well they do as they do in Deutschland. They ferment slowly at a very low temperature and follow up with a long cold conditioning between four and six weeks. And this unfiltered beer, they're leaving longer in there so that it lets the yeast drop a little bit. Now most industrial cooking lagers, they don't lager it for very long and then they filter the shit mm. out of it. And it takes all the flavour out, makes it stable, makes it bland, makes it consistent, but it does. It takes all the flavour out. Right. Um, whereas these, but leaving the yeast in there, it gives it a little bit more of a citrus character. And if you taste this compared to their their premium lager, Utopian premium lager, you'll see it's a bit more citrusy. Both are fantastic. So the premium lager and the Pilsner at Utopian are filtered. The unfiltered is unfiltered, obviously, and so is the dark lager, the Dunkel-style beer they've got as well. It's and this lager smooths out any of the rough edges and, and gets in touch with these delicate flavours. It's, so, uh, it's lovely stuff, it, I have to say. that is It's amazing. I mean, I was, um, I've was i tasted them all, that, and I left this one to the end because I thought, well, this the unfiltered is going to have a little bit more to it. And they are all brilliant in their own mm. way. Um, and it and it is a wonderful introduction to to, to the lager style. There we go then. And it's great to it's, it's, well, it's great to see that they're doing it. And again, patience whether you're making an ale or a, a lager, patience is key. It's one of the most uh, important uh, ingredients. Um, brilliant. And you should, they're made slowly and just the way you should be. Well, doing uh, it. that so, is fantastic. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that, and it just goes to show with that gin and that beer, Devon. Uh, has a lot to offer i'm sure we're going to find more stuff on the podcast from uk shores but we will we will be venturing further afield so if you like the sound of the gin plymouth gin uh, all the details are are uh, available on the podcast information but you can go to the whiskeyexchange.com and they'll deliver that to you during lockdown at the remarkable price of 25 pounds 75 which as we said is amazing considering you could you could charge 40 quid a bottle and where do they get utopian beer ben well, you can get it um, from utopianbrewing.com. They've got a shop there online. Um, and they're doing a really good mixed case of 12 for 24 quid, £2 a can, and they're big cans. Um, uh, and they are offering uh, our listeners a secret code called, if you type in Thinking Drinker when you order it, it gives you, it, they'll deliver it for, for free. Wow. Which is normally six pounds ninety-five. Anything over twenty quid, they get their free postage. So that is uh, what the French like to call un bargain. Uh Well, there we go. So next yeah. week we are going to venture further afield. So tune in next week, and we're going to be going to Venezuela. I'm going to be drinking some glorious Diplomatico Reserva Exclusiva rum. Again, that's available on the Whiskey Exchange. We use Whiskey Exchange, so we suggest you do. They're very reliable, and that's £37.95 on the Whiskey Exchange. If you want to spend a bit of extra, they've got some gift packs on there. They've got a £50 gift pack, which comes with two beautiful glasses, so you can get that for someone if it's their birthday next week. Uh, then go to our website, thinkingdrinkers.com, and buy them a lovely T-shirt. I mean, I can't think of any better way to spend a birthday than wearing our T-shirt, listening to our podcast and dip, drinking some Diplomatico rum. What are you going to taste next week? We are going to be um, going to California, Tom. Uh, one of the first of several stops in California, actually. Um, and we're going to be tasting uh, Lagunitas Daytime Session IPA, um, which is uh, a wonderfully refreshing summer beer. Very low, very low calories as well. So they're very good for your figure, for your core, um, and uh, you can get that from Asda. Okay. 
Uh, we're going to put all the links down on uh, below the podcast, so you make it easy for you to click through. Um, and if you've got any comments to make, please do send emails to us, uh, ben at thinkingdrinkers.com. Uh, send nice stuff to me, but if you don't like it, uh, or you've got some cock shots, uh, cock abusive shots. stuff, right, cock shots. Cock. Uh, Tom, yeah, yeah, send Tom. them to Tom at thinking, thinking yeah. drinkers. Any, any, uh, any fan mail, any pictures. I like all of that sort of stuff. Any, any. I, I don't mind how sinister it gets. Um, if so, do that. No. Follow us on social at Thinking Drinks for Twitter and Thinking Drinkers on Facebook and on uh, Instagram as well. And if you like the pod, this is very important. Please, can you give us a five star rating and a positive review yes. in your podcast app? Because apparently. Uh, that matters so if you do that yeah. it will help other people learn about it listen to it and improve their liquid lives along with you so um yeah and if you didn't like the podcast uh don't fucking bother. bother all right just just do one off. keep subscribing though so it looks Im- impressive but yeah. just don't listen okay that's brilliant it's yeah. been a, a an interesting proper first pod for us hope you've enjoyed the tastings and we look forward to tasting more booze with you next week cheers cheers